Father, how thankful we are this morning that the hope we have in Jesus is different from any hope this world has to offer us. This world can only offer us hope in the sense of us wishing something might happen, but in Jesus, our hope is the confident expectation that what Jesus has promised will come true. And as we are gathered here today to continue to worship you, we know that you've given us many promises in your word that are full of hope, the expectation that what you've promised will come true. Would you teach us this morning about that word? Would you use your Holy Spirit to challenge us, convict us, and change us? And today, may we leave here closer to you than when we walked in these doors. In the good name of Jesus, we beg you to do this for us today. Amen and amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Dave, and uh, just for, for leading us in worship today. I don't know if you all know this or not, but Kenneth, uh, our music minister, has a, a grandkid. I don't know if you all know that or not, uh, but he has a grandkid, and that grandkid turned a year old this weekend. And so for whatever reason, he thought he should have been there. I don't know why he thought he should be with a grandkid, but uh, he's, he and Christy are spending some time uh, with him. We hope they come back. We don't know just yet. Uh, it's supposed to be today, but we'll see. Uh, if he makes it back this evening, but uh, we're thankful that for Dave and the choir to uh, lead us uh, in his absence. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, I'm no, I'm no music minister whatsoever. Like my daddy uh, used to say, uh, I can carry a tune in the bucket, I just can't pour it out. Uh, but we've been talking about the Bible these last uh, several weeks, and I was not with you uh, last week. Uh, Dr. Jackson did a wonderful job uh, sharing with us a message on fear, and I appreciate him doing that. So I wasn't with you last week. So you had last week off from this little song that we have been doing for these last few weeks. And so since you had last week off, I trust that you spent those two weeks practicing uh, for today, knowing we'd be here today. So we're going to sing it extra super duper loud this morning, uh, because this is a little song that I learned when I was growing up in, in Sunday school, and, and if you've grown up in church, you might have heard this song about the Bible, and if not, it's pretty easy uh, to, to kind of get the, the hang of it. It kind of goes like this, and I'm going to start it, and when I start it, that means you're going to sing it, because if you don't sing it, I just sing it, and won't nobody be here when I finish singing it, okay? So you help me. It goes like this. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Good job. Only f one more time to sing that, okay? So we've got to really nail it next time. The Bible is the only book for me. As a follower of Jesus, those words are true of our lives. We can stand alone on the Word of God because the Bible, the Word of God, is one of the means through which God uses to help us become more like Jesus. Other books can inform you, but only the Word of God will transform you. But the only way it's going to transform you is if you have a right relationship with that Word of God. Today I want to talk to you about the rebuke from the Word of God. Now today the focus that we're going to look on Scripture uh, for our purposes today is uh, it's an interaction with Scripture that I think um, some followers of Jesus don't particularly enjoy. 
In fact, as I've looked at my own life and as I've talked to other followers of Jesus, I believe that this interaction with the Word of God is one of the things, if we're not careful, it will cause us to become disengaged from the Word of God. Because what we're going to look at today when we talk about the rebuke from the Bible, we are talking about those times in our lives when the Bible corrects us. When the Bible, as we read it, convicts us. When the Bible rebukes us in our lives. In a previous message in this series, we looked at a text in 2 Timothy where Paul said that all Scripture is given to us by God and it is useful for reproof or rebuke and for correction. Now, none of us wake up in the morning, or most of us probably don't wake up in the morning, and think to ourselves, I can't wait for something someone to correct me today. I can't wait for someone to put me in my place today. But that's exactly what part of the role of Scripture is to do exactly that. The Bible will hold up to us the calling to which we have been called. And if you study Scripture very long, you will begin to see some areas of your life that are not yet fully surrendered to Jesus, as the Bible tells us they should be. Or maybe there are some things that that are in your life that Scripture says maybe shouldn't be in your life, and conviction begins to set in. In fact, the author of Hebrews In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, about the Word of God says this. He says, for the Word of God is living, it is effective, it is sharper than any double-edged sword. This Word of God, it penetrates as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge, this Word is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So it's not just that scripture corrects external behavior, it also addresses the internal motivation. And I'll be honest with you, that part gets me every time. Because I can outwardly conform to a standard for a little bit, but do it in the wrong way, and the Word of God will begin to convict me about that. And so as we come and we approach this Scripture, this Word of God, I want us to look at a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7. And in that parable, he's going to show us and teach us something about the rebuke that the Bible gives us. Matthew chapter 7, for context, let's start back in verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce good fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will answer to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers." 
therefore, when he says therefore, he's tying what he's about to say to what he just said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, puts them into practice, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. I want us to look at this parable in the verses immediately preceding it. I want to draw to your attention quickly this morning four times, at least four times, that Scripture will rebuke us. And when it rebukes us, understand, every time Scripture rebukes us, we have a choice. We can resist that rebuke and rebel against that rebuke, or we can embrace that rebuke and repent. Whenever other people rebuke you, Sometimes, if someone else tries to correct you, sometimes it's for your benefit. Sometimes it's out of their ignorance. Amen? Okay. When, when I was, when, so, y'all ever been trying to, if y'all ever been corrected by someone else that didn't know what they were doing, anybody? <laughs> Only on days that ended in Y, okay? Well, when other people rebuke us, that's, the, that, that, that's something that can happen. But when God rebukes us from the Word, it's always for a, redemptive, a redemptive purpose. It's always to do something to cause us to be closer to Jesus. And there are at least four ways, four times, in which the Bible will rebuke us according to this parable Jesus told us. First, the Bible will rebuke us when we have a problem with our fruit. We have a problem with our fruit. Jesus is teaching us in these verses preceding the parable, verses 15 through 20, that good trees produce good fruit, bad trees produce bad fruit, and he says that you can identify a tree by the fruit it produces. If a, let's see if we're paying attention and if we can figure this one out. If a tree is producing oranges, what kind of tree is it? It's an orange tree, right? You can't call it what you can't call an apple tree. You'll just be wrong. Because you identify a tree by the kind of fruit that it produces. The problem Jesus had with some of those people who heard this parable was that they were not bearing good fruit, spiritual fruit. They said the right things. They hung out in the right places. But upon closer examination of their lives, the fruit they produced didn't match the kind of tree that they professed to be. See, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that one of the things that will happen in the lives of his followers is that they will bear good spiritual fruit. Jesus said this himself in John chapter 15, verse 5 and verse 8. (coughs) Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Jesus said, my father is glorified glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Here is what we mean when we talk about bearing fruit. Bearing fruit means that your life shows some evidence 
that God is at work in you. You're not perfect, and you don't become perfect. But the trajectory of your life when examined reveals that God is working in you and that God is working through you. So let me ask you a question that I want you to answer to yourself this time and not out loud. Does your life show evidence of God at work in you? Do you love Jesus more and more as each day goes by? Do you have a desire to see other people come to know Jesus? You're here today, but are you here for the right reason? When our lives begin to bear bad fruit, or if our lives bear no fruit, Scripture will rebuke us. God will use His Word to convict us. And when that happens, what will you do? Will you choose to resist that rebuke, or will you embrace it and move to repentance? If Scripture is rebuking you in this area, then your job is to apply John 15, 5 to your life. If your life is not producing good fruit, then your task today is to abide in Jesus. Get plugged in to Jesus. Stay connected to Jesus. Do whatever it takes to draw close to Jesus, and your life will begin to produce good fruit. The Bible rebukes us when we have a problem with our fruit. But secondly, the Bible will rebuke us when we have a problem with our following. When we have a fruit problem and a following problem. When Jesus got into the parable, one of the differences between the two people in the parable was that one acted on what they heard Jesus say, and the other did not. One followed the teachings of Jesus, the other did not. Now here's something that fascinates me about this text. This this text, Matthew chapter 5, is from a a portion of Scripture that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It was the longest recorded sermon of Jesus. If you were to read it, and if Jesus did not pause for any kind of nuances or illustrations, the longest sermon of Jesus recorded in Scripture is about five minutes long. I know you're thinking, Pastor, follow his example. I ain't Jesus. Okay? And I fall short in following the example in this way. Now, that's in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus preached another sermon, only it wasn't on the mountain. It was called the Sermon on the Plains. And many people, this is in Luke's gospel, many people flocked to him. They're all the people wanting to follow him. And Jesus preached a very similar sermon to what he preached in Matthew chapter 5. In fact, he, he told the very same parable. So Jesus also, he would kind of... Uh, twist up his sermons a little bit, and he would reframe it for a different audience. And as Jesus began to preach this sermon on the plain to the people in in Luke's gospel, listen to what uh, Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Right before he told that parable, in Luke's gospel, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Ain't gonna lie, this verse got me this week. Several times. Because for the question Jesus is posing 
told me that to call Jesus Lord, but to not do what Jesus has said to do indicates that you've got a problem in your pursuit of Jesus. You've got a problem in your following after Jesus. Listen, if Jesus, if you only seek Jesus as your get out of hell free card, if you only want Jesus for what he can do for you or for how you think he can help you, if you only look to Jesus as a role model for more morality, but you aren't fully surrendered to do what he says, you've got a problem in following after Jesus. This happens. I'm going to give you an illustration that I know is going to hit home to you. This happens when you compartmentalize your life and treat following Jesus like a buffet. I got you, didn't I? We all know what a buffet is. Yeah, don't act like you don't. I've seen some of you at some of them. A buffet has got all these different compartments, right? All these different foods. And if you want the fried catfish, you can get as much fried catfish as you want to or until the lady tells you to stop, and I might have heard that a time or two. (laughs) If you don't want the Brussels sprouts, then you can just pass them. And we compartmentalize our following Jesus in a very similar way. Well, I I don't mind worshiping Jesus on Sunday. I'll show up every Sunday, but I'm not going to give him control over my finances. Oh, you know, I'm going to be faithful to my small group, but... But there's this relationship in my life, and I know it's not honoring God. I don't mind being faithful in my small group, but I'm not going to give up that relationship. I don't mind obeying God in the buffet compartment of this, but there's this other part that's calling me to do something I just don't want to do, so I'll focus on this end of the buffet. I'm going to leave that end alone. And we start to compartmentalize things, and we're not doing what Jesus said to do. How can you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Has there been a point in your life when you have said, Jesus, all that I am, all that I have, and all that I ever hope to be, I surrender to you. And I don't put my life before you as a buffet. I put my life before you as a blank check to do whatever you want to do in my life. Whatever you say, do, Lord, I want to do. If you've never done that, you ought to, because Scripture is going to rebuke you until you do, unless you get smug in your spirituality this morning, and you say, well, pastor, I have done that today, then you better be careful to do it the next day, because you know what? The the only problem with a living sacrifice, which we're called to be in Romans chapter 12, the only problem with a living sacrifice is that it has a tendency to crawl off the altar. We have to make a daily decision to do what Jesus calls us to. Let me me tell you this, and you'll see this graphic on the screen. There are two words that simply cannot exist together in your life. No Lord. Those two words cannot exist side by side in your life. You cannot say no to a Lord. 
If he's Lord, your answer must always be yes. And so you and I, every day, we have to make a decision, and we will make a decision by our actions. We will cross out the word no, or we'll cross out the word Lord. If we tell him no, he's not really our Lord. If he's going to be our Lord, we must forever choose to remove the word no from our response to him. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. In every heart in this room, there are two things, a throne and a cross. And you and Jesus occupy one of those spots. If you are on the throne of your life, if you're the one that has to call the shots, if you're the one who thinks you're in charge, then that means that Jesus is still on the cross. But if you will put Jesus on the throne and put yourself on the cross to deny yourself and to follow after Jesus, that's how you fix the problem of following the Bible will rebuke us when it comes to our fruit problem. The problem, uh, the, the Bible will convict us and rebuke us when we have a problem with our following. But third, the Bible will rebuke us when we have a problem with our foundation. When we have a problem with our foundation. He mentions those two houses. One built on sand, one built on the rock. From a distance, you would assume the two houses are the same. The difference is only discovered when you look beneath the surface. One's built on the rock, one is built upon the sand, and the storm revealed the foundation. There are people whose lives look alike. They go to the same church. They believe basically the same theology. They live by the same general morals. Yet one's foundation is solid and the other's foundation is shaky and the storms of life reveal the difference. Some people don't mind walking with Jesus when everything's going fine, but when things get tough, they don't want to follow Jesus as closely anymore because the foundation is built upon sand. There are some people who don't mind following after Jesus until a prayer they pray is not answered the way they think it should be answered. And when that happens, then they no longer want to follow Jesus as closely because the foundation is on sand. It's not on the solid rock. The difference isn't in what each person believes. The houses look the same. The difference, Jesus said, is in how much of their lives are built on what they believe. Jesus said in verse 24, that the solid foundation belongs to the person who hears his words and acts upon them. According to Jesus, your response to the storm isn't determined by what you say you believe, but it's determined by what your life demonstrates that you believe. I'll tell you, the Spirit of God is going to use the Word of God to rebuke you if you are not acting upon Scripture. Why? Because God knows that the storms are going to come into your life, and God knows the only way to stand firm in that storm is to have a strong foundation, and God knows that that strong foundation is ours only when we hear the words of Jesus and act upon them. That fixes our foundation problem. But then there's a fourth problem. The Bible will rebuke us when we have a problem with our 
faith. A problem with our faith. <clears throat> Look back at verse 21 with me. Where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, we're in the kingdom of heaven. Though the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. What is God's will? God's will is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. God's will is for every person to bow their knee and their heart to Jesus as Lord. On that day, Jesus said, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many mighty miracles in your name? Then I will answer them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Oh, these people had the right theology. <coughs> these people said the right words. They were even involved. In, there was even a group serving on the committee to cast out demons. That's varsity club right there, folks. <laughs> That's the committee that uh, I wouldn't want to be a part of, to be honest with you. And yet Jesus told them that he did not know them. Why? Because their faith was in what they were doing, not what Jesus had done for them. So there's a big difference. The focus of their faith was on what they did. The problem about that is that faith in what you do will get you nowhere. It's only faith in what Jesus has done for you that will lead to salvation and eternal life. Don't put your faith in what you know or what you do or what you think. If that's where your faith is, you've got a problem with your faith. The Word of God is going to rebuke you so you can correct that problem. The Word of God's going to call you to look to Jesus according to who, according to the book of Hebrews, is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Have you placed your faith solely upon what Jesus has done for you? on the cross and in the resurrection. If not, that's the only way to correct your faith problem. Let's think about this as we try to put a bow on it real quick. When the Bible rebukes us, it's for a redemptive purpose. That rebuke is designed by God to correct the relationship and the fellowship that our sin has disrupted. And thanks be to God this morning that in Jesus, God has provided us a vine who corrects the problem with our fruit. That in Jesus, God has provided a Lord seated on a throne who is worthy of following. That in Jesus, God has provided a firm foundation that will sustain us during any storm, that in Jesus God has provided a Savior in whom we can place our faith for salvation. And here's what that means today. That means that when you struggle and when you fall, the death of Jesus is sufficient to cover and to forgive your sins. It means that when you feel like you have no strength, his resurrection is sufficient to give you strength because he lives. I can face tomorrow. When you feel lost, his spirit is sufficient to guide you and will never leave you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust 
the sweetest frame. But holy lean, holy lean on Jesus' name. And when that darkness veils his lovely face, I rest in his unchanging grace because in every high and stormy veil, my anchor holds within the veil. It's his oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness, not mine, his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Who are you standing upon this morning? Who is your foundation? Would you bow with me this morning? As you bow your head, close your eyes, we're going to pray. After I pray, we're going to have a time of commitment. A time in which maybe even in these moments that we've spent looking at Scripture, the Word of God has convicted you. Maybe you have felt some kind of rebuke this morning. That rebuke is for your redemption. As you look at your life, where is the problem that Jesus addressed in this text? Is it a problem with your fruit in which you need to recommit yourself to abide in Jesus? Is it a problem with your following in which you need to recommit yourself to not compartmentalize your faith, but to place your life before Jesus as a total offering of whatever he calls you to do? Maybe it's a problem with your foundation. Are you practicing what Jesus has said? Maybe it's a problem with your faith. And you've been placing your faith in the wrong thing, the wrong foundation. This morning, would you consider placing your faith in Jesus? After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. If you've got questions about what it means to follow Jesus, we're here to answer those questions. If you're ready to take the step to follow Jesus, we would love to share with you how to take that step. If you need to make a recommitment to Jesus, whether right there in the pew where you are, if you want to utilize this altar, that's up to you. If you need to recommit a part of your life to Jesus, do that today. Leave here today allowing the rebuke from the word of God to work redemption in your life. Father, I thank you that scripture is used by your Holy Spirit to rebuke and correct us when we go off course. I'm thankful that when we go off course that you don't leave us without a map to get back. That you don't leave us without a Holy Spirit to draw us back. That you don't throw up your hands and give up on us. But that you constantly use the word to bring us back to where we need to be. So Father, I pray for those in this room today, those watching us online today, and maybe we have a relationship with you, but there is something with our fruit, with our following, with our foundation that isn't what it needs to be. 
as your Holy Spirit pinpoints that area in my life and in the lives of those here today, I pray we would surrender, repent, and place ourselves completely in your hands. And I also pray today for those in this room who have a problem with their faith. They've never placed their faith in Jesus and know what Jesus has done for them. They may be doing things. They may be taking part in activities. They may be doing all sorts of spiritual things, but they've never surrendered their life to you and trusted in the work of Jesus on the cross and the power of his resurrection. Father, I pray as the Holy Spirit brings conviction to their hearts that they would respond in repentance and find redemption from you and your word. Have your will and your way in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.